as we turn our attention uh, to Romans 14, uh, we continue our study in the epistle to the Romans from Paul. Um, let us pray, and then we will see what the Lord has for us this morning. Father, uh, help me as I, I seek to um, faithfully exposit uh, the truths that you've brought to us uh, in the 14th chapter of the epistle of Romans. Uh, principles that are applicable in all ages, uh, but ever more so in, in a growingly divisive culture um, and context of the church. Help us to see Paul as he pastorally um, covers these issues in the church, as he seeks the unity which is found in, in the death and resurrection of your son. May we see how this applies in our lives, how we often treat our brothers and sisters wrongly. Pray you would be glorified through this. Amen. So follow along with me as I read Romans 14 will be uh, verse 1 through 13 this morning. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, and gives thanks to God. For one of us lives to himself, for none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. This is a very tough passage. It's tough to understand exactly what Paul's uh, talking about. A surface-level reading makes you question if, if Paul really understands the Westminster Confession on the Sabbath. You know, the answer is yes, he does. I think the, the divines actually pull from him, specifically his, his epistle to the Hebrews, thanks to his, the hand of his, uh, his friend Luke. Um, but here, what is Paul saying? Well, let us remember the historical context of the, the epistle to the Romans. So this is an a, a epistle written to a, a mixed group of, of individuals. You had Jewish converts. You had Gentile pagan converts, all in one congregation. Previously, uh, the emperor had kicked out all the Jews from Rome. And therefore, the church had been separated there was a divide within her. And Paul here is pastorally preparing 
the Gentile believers to receive their Jewish brothers and sisters once again. And because of their, their, their cultural, um, their, their life experience, um, there was natural points of friction that were to be experienced between uh, those two groups. And here we see uh, one of those points of friction in matters of, of liberty. So the first thing I want us to look at this morning is, is this, this concept of bound and free, of weak and strong. And we see this in, in verses 1 through 2, and then 5 and 6. I'm not going to go 1 all the way through 13. I'm, I'm going to uh, group these uh, in, in a unique way. So the first, first, first section is going to be 1 and 2, and then 5 and 6. In verse 1, we see this, this idea of those who are weak in faith. And this term is, is descriptive rather than derogatory. Not a, uh, it's not speaking of a Christian who uh, is inferior in physical strength or one who is overly emotional or you know, is weak in their mind, but rather it's, it's a specific type of spiritual weakness uh, that they possess. Moo asserts that, that Paul is criticizing these, these weak brethren for a lack of insight into some of the implications of their faith in Christ. So the problem is um, their application of the gospel to their lives. It's not, it's not that they're not believing the gospel for, for their weaker brothers, they, but they are indeed brothers, but rather they have not yet fully worked out how uh, that faith, how that justification, how the position in Christ uh, applies to uh, the wholeness of their life. Mount adds at Rome there were Jewish Christians who were reluctant to give up uh, certain ceremonial aspects of, of their religious heritage. They were uncertain of how uh, faith in Christ affected the status of Old Testament regulations. So here we have uh, Jewish converts who, who grew up most likely in the Jewish system, uh, observing the, the ceremonial law um, bound to, to, by conscience to what God had revealed. And they were struggling in, in seeing how the gospel, how the gospel relates uh, to that revelation. Calvin adds, for God, by making us stronger, obviously Calvin's going to side himself with the stronger brother in here, um, making us stronger than others does not bestow strength that we may oppress the weak, nor is it the part of Christian wisdom to be above measure insolent and to despise others. And so Paul admonishes the stronger brethren to, to welcome, welcome the weaker in faith. This idea of welcome is a term of hospitality. It has the idea of, of welcoming someone into your house, into your family. They who have made the most progress in Christian doctrine should accommodate themselves to the more ignorant. They, sh they should be uh, in a posture of hospitality. Calvin adds that. So there were some who were welcoming. This one, this one hits home. There were some who were welcoming the weaker brother, but they had bad motives. So you see this in term doubtful disputations of verse 1. Some were welcoming uh, the weaker brother in order to refute them. This one hit home for me. Right? I, sometimes I'm, I, I, like to, I like to have theological discussions. If, if you ever want to talk theology, come find me. I'm always down for it. But Sometimes uh, I, I get a little overzealous in who I, I try to pick those fights with, right? Maybe, uh, maybe 
the weaker brother is not the person to do that to. For here he makes it appear that his error is of such a nature that even those who do not transgress in the same manner and who nevertheless admit him to their affection and are earnestly bent upon curing him are at doubt. It's John Chrysostom, early church father. What John is, is arguing is that those who were strong saw those who were weak in the faith uh, as having a theological disease in which they, they had to cure. And like that was, that was convicting for me. You know, how am I viewing uh, the, those who are weaker in the faith? Um, am I seeing them as a, a problem to be fixed, a disease to be cured, or a brother uh, who, needs, who needs to be safeguarded? So we see two, two case studies that applies uh, this reality. The first one is diet, and we see that in verse 2. In verse 2, we see that there were Jews who had taken on a vegetarian diet, so not to give any appearance of evil to, number one, the devout Jews who might have been in Rome, and number two, the pagans amongst, surely, the majority of the culture they lived uh, persist of. The weakened faith probably decided to avoid meat altogether out of a concern to maintain Old Testament laws of purity in a pagan context where kosher meat was not easily obtained. Could anyone think of any Old Testament uh, application or a contextualization uh, of, this, of this reality? Yes, Daniel, exactly. Um, most likely, Daniel was a meat-eating Jew, right? He probably followed the kosher laws um, and, and ate, it partook of, of meat that was clean. However, he gets exported to a pagan nation where there was a ton of idolatry. And so he commits himself not to partake of the king's meat. He takes upon himself a vegetarian diet uh, so that his conscience may uh, stay clear before God and his witness uh, clear among fellow men. And then there were Gentiles who had no understanding of what clean or unclean even meant. Right? That, that distinction was, was not something that they would have um, understood. Then in verses 5 and 6, you see a second case study concerning days. Some Jews were of the belief that they were required to observe the prescribed feasts, fasts, and Sabbaths found in the Old Testament law. Whereas Gentiles saw no need for ceremonial feasts, for, for them the weekly Sabbath was sufficient. And it's important to note, many, um, many out there will, will go to this passage and the parallel passages in uh, Colossians and Galatians to argue against uh, the Sabbath, that, that, that men are bound uh, to observe a Sabbath. But that's not what Paul's arguing. Like I said, he argues contrary to that, uh, I believe, in Hebrews. Uh, I think the, the totality of Scripture would, would speak against that, especially the fourth commandment, as we affirm the moral law is binding upon all men at all times. Uh, so what he's actually referring to here. Remember back in the Old Testament, God established, he prescribed certain feasts, certain fasts, certain days of Sabbath. Not the weekly Sabbath, but days in addition to that uh, of rest and worship. And for the Jews, we see that they were, they were absolutely still, uh, still following this. We see that in the life of Jesus. Time and time again, there were, are references to the feast of the feast of, the day of, like these were still part uh, of the, the, the sacramental system of the Jewish uh, establishment uh, at this time. 
And so Jewish converts who receive the gospel, they're wrestling with, okay, how does my new faith in Christ relate to the old faith? Because you have to realize this is an important distinction. What, they, what their consciences are being bound by are things that God has commanded them to do, right? The same, the same God of the New Testament we, we affirm is, is the God of the Old Testament. It's the same God. So there's this tension between Gentiles and Jews over, over, over these issues. So question, was the weaker or the stronger brother correct, and then why? Thank you for that, Mike. Yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's absolutely true that any, anything done outside of faith is, is sin, right? And I, I think for, the, for them to neglect these things for them would have been sin. Because, like I said, this, this is not like man-made things that they're seeking to adhere to. No, it's the things that God's commanded them to do. Oh, we're going to get there. Yeah. Yeah, I would 100% agree. I, 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 and I think I argue that there is an intertestamental transitional period um, before the destruction of the temple and the dis, uh, dispersion of the Jews and really the solidification of the established church um, where God in his providence allowed uh, some of these things to, to remain in practice. Uh, and it's also important to note, um, Paul is much, much uh, more definitive in his communication on these issues uh, to the church at Galatia and the church at uh, Colossae. And I think it's, it's important to note, he's been there. He's had communication face-to-face with them. He's been able to, to have these discussions. He's not yet been to Rome. So he, he, he takes a more gentle approach uh, with these believers. Yes, Nick.
Yeah, which we're commanded to do. Um, yes, indeed. Um, all right, let's move on. So I, I would say that, that yes, neither is wrong and both are correct. Um, I, think, I think that's the safest thing to say here. And I, I think it's, it's just the fact that, like, like David said, like, they had yet to understand uh, that Christ has fulfilled. He, he, was, he was typified. Like, those things uh, were pointing to Christ, and Christ has come, and he's fulfilled those. But uh, they, they would grow in their knowledge of these uh, throughout history. All right, second section, moving into uh, we see here as, as Christ as the Lord, the master of the conscience um, we see this in, in verse 3, verse 4, verse 7, 8, and 9. So first, let's look at point, uh, point A there. Don't despise, don't judge. So the, the term of despise here in, in, in verse 3 is to cast aside, to throw out as nothing. So Gentiles view the Jews uh, really as superstitious nutjobs. You have to realize, like, the Gentiles, they, they had no understanding of, of the Old Testament laws like, like the Jews did. So to them, like, they seem like religious fanatics. Um, and then the Gentiles are instructed by Paul, hey, don't despise the Jews for their weakness. And then contrarily, Paul speaks to the weaker brother. He says, don't judge them. Judge here uh, has the idea of a pronouncement which requires separation. The Jews view themselves as right and how dare the Gentiles not agree with them. So they, 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 they embody the Pharisees, their forefathers here, and the fact that they, they had knowledge of the law that puffed themselves up, uh, and it's, it caused them to separate, if not physically, at least uh, in, in, in terms like intellectually and spiritually, from their Gentile brothers. So Paul admonishes them, hey, don't condemn your Gentile, uh, your Gentile brothers for the liberty that they have found in Christ. Verse 4, we see the question being posed. Paul channeling his, his inner Driscoll. Who do you think you are? Right? Like, who do you think you are? And he's speaking to both. The answer is, well, we're not our brother's master. Rather, we are a servant in the house of the Lord, and we answer to him alone. How many, uh, how many in here are Lord of the Rings fans? I know, Simeon, you're not yet. We're going to get you. So studying this, 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 path, uh, this verse right here uh, instantly brought me back uh, to the return of the king. Uh, Pippin had, had just pledged allegiance to the steward of Gondor after feeling immense guilt for what had happened to the steward's son, uh, his, Pippin's friend, uh, Faramir, or, uh, sorry, Bar uh, Barmir. And uh, he, he swears allegiance <clears throat> to the steward. His life, whatever the steward wants, it's his. And so Pippin says afterwards, so I imagine this is just a ceremonial position. I mean, they don't actually expect me to do any fighting, do they? I took the words right on my notes. Thank you, Nick. So yes, <clears throat> very similarly to Pippin, we find ourselves now in the service, uh, not of the steward of Gondor, thankfully. He was, he was not a very good guy. Uh, and I'm thankful here for the return of the king. Because uh, now we're in service, we're in, in the house of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are uh, to do his bidding. We answer to him. Our lives are uh, ones of service to him. That goes to the point C there. In life and death, we are Christ. We see that in verse 7 through 9. 
We live, when, while we live, we live unto Christ's rule. Mounts points out, what is wrong for me translates easily into what is wrong for everyone. But the fact that God has received them ought to temper one's tendency to criticize, since God has found room for them in the fellowship. Any attempt on our part to exclude them will fail to meet with God's approval. Calvin adds, And doubtless <clears throat> there is nothing more fitted to restrain licentiousness in judging and to correct superstition, so he, here Calvin addresses both sides, than to be summoned before the tribunal of God. And hence Paul wisely sets the judge before all, to whose will they are to refer whatever they do. So in life, and we see in death, we die and we live unto Christ's rule. So, what in the world does it mean to die unto Christ? When I first read that, that was, that was an immediate question that I had. So I was wondering if anyone has any initial guesses on, on what it means to die unto Christ. You don't have to be right. I wasn't. What, what, what version is that? I'm not going to say anything. I will not judge you. Anyone else have any idea what it means to die unto the Lord? Yeah, I think it does. Yep. I, well, I think John is right. I think it is multifaceted. I think there's layers of meaning to this term, and, and you see that even in the commentators. Uh, I found two, two not contrary, but, but differing um, opinions from commentators. Uh, Morris says that when Paul says that we die to the Lord, he's not saying that we die in any sense, uh, such cease as, or sense as ceasing to have fellowship with him. So we're not dying to Christ in, in that capacity. Um, but that we pass from one form of service to God 
to another form of service to God. In this life, in the life to come, we are under the service of Christ, though that may look different. Mu argues that in this regard, he probably has in mind the fact that these circumstances of the believer's death as of his life are determined not by his will or in consideration of his own interests, but are wholly in the hands of the Lord, who sets the time of his death in accordance with his own interests and purposes. So, so Mu is arguing that, that God is sovereign over both our life and death. And I think Mu's, Mu's understanding is actually going to help us in the, in the following section. Uh, so ultimately, Christ's death, <clears throat> so Christ's death and his resurrection, and both those, has given him eternal ownership of our bodies, conscience, and our souls. So the exaltation of Christ has given us a, a has given him um, the rights to our lives uh, holistically, body, uh, conscience, and our soul. Yep. I wasn't going to, but you, you can feel free to. I mean, there is, a, there is a, a definitely application, but. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think that's a fair assessment. And that's a good cross-reference. You also have uh, Peter, and, and, God, and God's rebuke to Peter um, when Peter calls unclean. Um, and God says, hey, don't call unclean what I've, I've called clean. So <clears throat> there's a ton of cross-references that apply this passage, uh, but I, I would need another Sunday school uh, hour to, to cover all of them and, and with due justice. <clears throat> so you see Christ's death and resurrection uh, has given him the ownership, like I said, and <clears throat> Calvin... This is really good. Calvin argues that God is sovereign over the path of sanctification in the life of believers, and those roads are of differing length. I thought this was, this was really good and really helpful. So God is not only sovereign over life and death, but he's sovereign over where we start out in our Christian life and then how quickly we progress. And so who are we to question ultimately God's timing when we do this? What we're doing is we're questioning God and his sovereignty in the lives of others. Believers must live their lives and must assure their conscience is in subject to the lordship of Christ. So in, in, in context of this, how does a Christian live and die differently than the unbeliever? 
So do we, do we live unto ourselves? I mean, Paul has just spent four verses, you know, arguing contrary to that, right? So how, how does that differ? We live and we die unto Christ. What does the unbeliever live and die unto? Self. Absolutely. So that's a, a, a stark contrast. That's, yeah. Yeah, we, and we are still accountable. Um, and, and verse 11, Paul, Paul's going to get there. But the unbeliever is also accountable, and, and those, those measures of, of account are, are much different for us versus them. All right, moving on to the last section and the last, uh, last 10 minutes of our time here. <clears throat> so to bear or not to bear. I use these words, uh, yes, thank you, Nick, uh, intentionally, because uh, a bear can be both a noun, <clears throat> it can be a, a large animal that, that devours, or it can be uh, a verb, something you do. I bear with people. You know, I, I bear with Jonathan's wife, Andrea, as she's an Ohio State fan. You know, I have to bear with that because it's, it's not natural for me to, to agree with that. <clears throat> so we see that, uh, that Paul is arguing here in the final sections to really to bear with one another. We see in verses 10 through 12 the question of who judges who. Paul asks, both sides. Why, O Jew, do you judge? Why, O Gentile, do you despise? And the answer is ultimately, God is the one who judges all. He quotes here from Isaiah, or Isaiah, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to God. The conclusion is, as John Downham, the, the great Puritan, uh, we must le- live to God uh, we must leave to God his right, and therefore in matters which, according to the conscience is affected, may be neither good nor evil, the strong must not slight, much less condemn the weak brethren. We will give an account for our actions and positions. We will not be given an account for our brother's actions or positions. The fact of judgment to come also reminds believers that they will have to answer before the Lord for their own behavior. Be your brother's keeper not your brother's cleaver. I think that's really the concept between verse 13 as Paul turns to, to finishing up the section and transitioning into next week's session. He really gives um, three, three commands here. First one is, is don't injure your relationship to your brother. Don't cause him to, uh, don't judge your brother. Don't injure your brother's faith. Don't cause him to stumble or to fall. Mounts here summarizes this idea of this we must be careful not to generalize on the principle expressed in the teaching. Paul was not saying that sin is a matter of personal opinion. He was not teaching that as long as we think something is okay, it is okay for us. Scripture clearly teaches that certain things are wrong. There are, however, other matters about which there may be legitimate differences of opinion. They are secondary issues 
about which Christians may be of differing persuasions. In such cases, strong believers are to be willing, as the expression of Christian love, to allow the sensitivities of the weak to condition how they live. And really, the weight here is put on the stronger to bear with the weak. Guard your brothers. So the third, the third command is to guard your brothers, uh, your brother as he grows in spiritual maturity. And that's really the, the goal that Paul puts forward is that the weak, this is, this is not a long-term thing, right? If they are truly in the faith, the spirit will work in their hearts. They will grow in maturity. They will grow in their understanding of application of the gospel. And Mu points out a very clever uh, grammatical um, um, structuring of Paul here. He uses the same word, <coughs> the word that is translated judging and to decide. So what, what Paul is arguing here in verse 13 is rather than judging or condemning others, the strong in the faith are to judge in the sense of to decide, not to place a stumbling block or cause of offense before their fellow believers. I think that's a really unique catch there by, by, uh, by Mu. So Paul is saying, he's using the same word and it's translated completely different. Instead of judging in the sense of condemning your brother, judge, commit, decide that you're not going to make your brother stumble. You're not going to make your brother fall. So as we, as we wrap things up, this is a tough passage to apply. I remember uh, weeks ago, I was talking to Justin and I, I, was, I was confessing, I, I, I'm struggling with how to apply this. I don't think it applies to this, uh, but I don't really know what it applies to. You know, we don't have a lot of uh, uh, Jews who grew up under the, the sacrificial system and the temple uh, still being in place. Uh, we, don't have, we, we don't have that same context. But we still have a context where there's a lot of divisive issues in the church. So as we close out, I just want to ask, what are issues that currently cause division among the weak and the strong brothers in church, so we can be aware of those issues. Hmm? I would say alcohol broadly is a great application. Uh, there may be people who, who struggle with alcoholism before coming to faith, and, and maybe even before faith, they went to like AA or something, and they, they sobered up, and they chose, they, they committed not to partake of alcohol, right? Someone in that, when they come to the faith, they bring along that that conception of alcohol. And so that could be an example of that for sure. I have one personal exception, which I talked to David about. And if you want to know what that exception is to alcohol, you can come talk to me afterwards. Any other applications of this? Okay. I think there's definitely limits in which modesty could be an application of this. Along that lines, I also highlighted head coverings. Um, it's, got, it's coming up. It's coming up. And, you know, there was a time where head coverings weren't really a thing. Uh, there was a time where head coverings were the thing. Um, but I think that goes along with, with modesty as well. Anything else? Maybe uh, versions of the scripture. You know, someone could have grown up using the authorized version their whole life. Uh, and they, they, they don't understand how you could possibly use the ESV. You know, bear with them. Baptism. How about Baptism. Obviously, I'm not, I'm not arguing that we change the way we practice baptism here at, at New Covenant, right? We, we adhere to the book of church order. We are confessional Presbyterians, right? But we have people who have come into our congregation who uh, do, don't hold to our position on baptism. 
right? We, we should bear with them. We should seek to, to be gentle in bringing them as, as God uh, matures them in their faith. Yes, Justin. That's, that's an idea, yep. That's Doris. It's true, and, and I think it's important to understand that we were once the weaker brother, and in some areas, we are still the weaker brother. So that should humble us in our dealing with others. Yes, Gina Marie. Yeah, yeah, children have a tendency to, to be pretty raw, uh, and it's a good and bad trait. Um, and then, and all, based on that, but similar, uh, a little different vein, we need to ensure that, Paul argues this in the, in the passage, that we need to ensure that our children are not taking on positions just because it's the positions of their parents, but we are teaching them, training them on how to um, derive their positions from Scripture, because ultimately, um, they have to answer, they have to be sure of their positions before the Lord uh, as well. Well, thank you. Uh, That's going to conclude our lesson.